Patrick Pooch from the Carlton Footy Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Dane Zorko here from the Brisbane Lions. Jason Johannesson from the Western Bulldogs. Luke Parker here from the Sydney Swans. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club. This is Matt Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Number six in the 50 most relevant is a player that's, well, to be honest, he's pretty much effectively tagged every single player through the intro. I'm talking about GWS stopper Matt DeBoer. This was the surprise. Well, maybe it wasn't for you. How is he among the six most relevant players in fantasy footy? Oh, oh my friend, it is a greater impact than you think. Talking about MDB, we've got Benny Gogos. Hello, buddy. Hey, mate. I think I just heard jaws drop across the country, but uh, looking forward to getting stuck into this one. No, he's a ripper, and look, some you know, full credit. A couple of people have been able to you know send us direct messages, comments, tweets, and and have picked him up as a really relevant player. And there is reasons for that, but it is not for what he scores, but rather the impact he has to our premiums that puts him in this place. Look, that said, twenty nine years old, he still managed to turn up across all of the formats, though. So, look, full credit to him. Uh, One hundred five uh, against Carlton in AFL fantasy was his top score. One sixteen versus Gold Coast in Supercoach. But look, I'm not going to tell you his price. I'm not going to talk about his average because it's not about what he does that makes him relevant for us it's about like i said what he does and uh one of the unique traits of a tagger is the ability to make it not just life difficult for premium midfielders but completely ruin their ability to impact the game and as such take their team that one step closer to victory and in the afl right now there is no better defensively minded midfielder than matt DeBoer. No, that's spot on, mate. He's he's actually been the leader of defensive midfielders for probably the past two seasons. Mm-hmm. He, he obviously learned his craft under Ryan Crowley for a fair period of time at, yep. at the Dockers, uh, and he's really transformed the the Giants' midfield. Which, you know, let's let's be honest, they have an extremely talented midfield, but uh, often an offensive-minded midfield, and he's the one that really brings that defensive steel to the to the group. So. He's someone that has become integral, absolutely integral to the, the Giants' fortunes, and he's going to prove to be so in 2020. So look out for for potential uh, owners of the, the top dogs at each club, which, of course, we all we all are going to own some of these great great performers at each club, but he's someone that's, that's likely to try to take them down because at the end of the day, if you stop the best player on the opposition team, it does go some way towards winning the game. Yeah, it certainly does. And, and one of the great unique traits that Matt DeBoer has that probably most other taggers haven't done as consistently or, or to as great effect as him is often a tagger will get one player during the week, the coaching staff, uh, you know, will, will brief them around, all right, this is the player, you ought to negate his role and influence, and then they spend the next one, two, three, four, five days preparing to stop this one player. I, I'm sure that happens to Matty DeBoer, but he's got this rare ability to mid-game if another person is getting off the leash, Leon Cameron has shown he's quite happy to, to change the negating target and move them on. We saw that against Geelong earlier in the year. Um, last year, it was he predominantly sat on the impact of a Tim Kelly. Halftime, it was Patrick Dangerfield that they decided, look, he's more damaging to us right now in the game. Flipped it. 
And he ended up destroying danger in the second half of the game too. And he barely got a possession um, from that point on. So it's a, it's a rare thing, isn't it, Ben, for a midfielder to be able to change targets and stop both of them equally as efficiently. Yeah, and I, I think with him, it's it's as much to do with the, the psychological elements of the game. Mm. He's uh, so tenacious. He's so physical. He's, he's always there. He's just nipping at you. He's just a, an annoying guy to play against. You can see it, you know, even through just watching vision. I I think he's someone that, you know, obviously he's, he's had so much success against the, the best players in the competition. So at the end of the day, I, you know, you've got, you've got tall players, you've got your Marcus Bontempelli's, you've also got your small players, your Lockie Neal's. He can do jobs on both these guys. And that's, that's testament to the, the type of player he is. And it's, it's, got to breed a little bit of fear when it comes to our fantasy coaches. Yeah, it certainly does. Look, I, I tracked him across the home and away season um, with 14 real strong negating midfield roles. One of them was a, a split in one game against Geelong. Um, so it was two targets in one game, but he destroyed them both, to be fair. Um, he did get injured during the year uh, and he does have, you know, not the greatest injury history, but it's certainly not a concerning point in terms of us starting him because, again, it's what he does to our premiums, not what he is to us. But last year, I-, I tracked him playing 14 key negating roles during the home and away season. And man, did he do a work on them. On average, so what I've done is this, is uh, I've had a look at what a player's been able to deliver minus the Matt DeBoer game to give us a pure understanding of what their seasonal average was and then put that up against... Um, what they did in the game, Matt DeBoer went to them for some or most of the game. So it's as pure an impact perspective as we could possibly get here. Um, and, and man, did he destroy players because on average in AFL fantasy, he was able to have a differential of 34 points a game across 14 different targets. That's the average. And he had some Big scoring impacts to some of our premium players. In AFL Fantasy, he had a 61-point impact on the seasonal average of Zach Merritt. A 59-point impact on the seasonal average of Patrick Cripps. It was a 45-point impact on guys like Clayton Oliver. 43 points on Patrick Dangerfield. 30 points on Dustin Martin. 31 points on Elliot Yo. 28 points on Ben Cunnington. Um, he did this pretty much week in, week out, where in AFL Fantasy, he destroyed our premiums, and it was only Marcus Bontempelli that had the smallest scoring deviation of just 10 points. No player in AFL Fantasy format scored better with Matt DeBoer on him. No premium even drew level with him. He impacted everyone in that format. And that is a scary thing for AFL Fantasy coaches. Yeah, absolutely. And so I don't know if you you mentioned the number there. I don't think you did. But he actually affected 34. Yeah, was the average differential. It's an an absolutely huge number, isn't it, MJ? It's insane. Uh, There's... This is a guy that you really, really don't want to be captaining against. Uh, that's one of the, the first things that you've got to keep in mind. He's uh, got got an um, application towards daily fantasy competitions as mm. well. Um, Drafts even. It's worth keep, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's worth keeping in mind with him uh, or with the GWS Football Club as a whole that they're a little bit harder to score against. Yep. So, um, you know, that that negative 35 wouldn't purely be based on Matt DeBoer being the greatest tagger of all time. Yeah, there's other um, factors, isn't there? There are other factors, but he's a guy that you really want to be avoiding. You don't want your players to be playing him. And so 
that kind of leads us on to the next question um, around fixture difficulty for the cert, for assets that we do want to own. Of course, DeBoer is a, a great player, but we don't necessarily want to own him for fantasy. But when it comes to the guys that, that he's going to come up against in the, the first you know half of the season or your, your starting selection squad, we've got to be very, very mindful that we're not um, playing him probably more than once. And yeah. if we are playing him, you know, hopefully the the player that we uh, select doesn't have a history of necessarily playing on Matt DeBoer. That's where it, it um, ties in with the old uh, dream team narrative, not necessarily so much super coach, but definitely the dream team narrative of picking a player that get, gets a lot of the ball but doesn't necessarily use it that well. You yeah. think of a, a guy like Matt Crouch as being probably um, the prime example mm. of, of these days. Um so yeah, keeping in all of those things in mind, but I think we're gonna we're gonna touch on the fixture right minute, about yeah. now. Yeah, well that's true. Yeah. You, you mentioned that really interesting point about how how strong that GWS midfield is as a whole, and you know his super coach numbers are very similar. That has that thirty five point differential. He he kills the big boys because last year in that format too, Cripps, Oliver, and Dangerfield all were impacted by fifty points per game, and he just finds a way to do it. O- only two players in super coach. Um, either drew even with their seasonal averages or outperformed. Rory Sloan matched it, and that was because he had a phenomenal last quarter with, I think it was like two goals, um, to get the game over the almost over the line for the Crows. And then it was Jaeger O'Meara, who outscored by three. So, yeah, yeah you're right. It's he and the rest of the midfield do make that big impact. And uh, you're right. There's fixture I want to talk about. There's two other questions, but let's talk about that fixture. Um, two things through there. You don't want your premiums in your starting squad having a slow start. Now, yes, you have them over the year, but it's those opening five, six, seven weeks that if your premium midfielders, where you're probably spending the most of your salary cap, um, if they have poor starts, yes, you can always recover, but you want to, as best you possibly can, forecast for the best possible start. And if Matt DeBoer is coming to your premium midfielder over the opening six to seven weeks, oh, that could be painful. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, the one thing I just want to point out there, you want to try to maximize um, the variance in your squad yeah. uh, at the start of the season. So you're looking for... Um, you know, if you, you're selecting a guy that's, say, averaged 110, take uh, Patrick Cripps, for example, yeah. you're selecting him initially on the basis that you think he might be able to return in excess of 120 over the first four to six rounds. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's where, you know, if we have a, a guy like Matt DeBoer who maybe limits him to, if he's dropping his, his average by 35, you know, he might limit him to a 75. Well, then it's a very, very difficult for Cripps to average 120. He's going to have to average going to have to score 400 points over the, the other three weeks. So he's realistically more like 135 average for three weeks. So that's where it really plays into the mindset of coaches. Mm. How do we navigate away from Matt DeBoer as much as humanly possible? Yeah, no, it's an interesting fact. It, from a pre-buy perspective, there's just the one club that plays GWS twice before their multi-buy round, and that is the Western Bulldogs. Last year... Matt DeBoer went to Marcus Bontempelli. He will play the Bulldogs in round three and also in round 13. That might be enough of a reason 
to put Bontempelli as an upgrade target. Who knows? The other teams that GWS play twice in the season are Richmond. Last year, he went to both Dustin Martin um, in the home and away season, and then later in the grand final, Dion Prestia did a good job against him in the grand final. Didn't make much of a difference, but it was him. Uh, against Sydney, likely to probably tag a, a Luke Parker type, you would forecast. Geelong, well, Dangerfield now is the prime target, and he has him in round one, interestingly enough. While the other team they play twice is Essendon, and last year he did a job on Zach Merritt. Zach Merritt is interesting because round three and round five, he has the Thursday night game, but round four is when he has them. So, look, if if I was to forecast two of the first six potential targets of Matt DeBoer, Geelong round one, probably Dangerfield. Um, round two, Melbourne, probably Clayton Oliver. Round three, Marcus Bontempelli and the Bulldogs. Round four, Zach Merritt. Round five, hard to be certain, but I think it's Luke Parker. And then round six, a player he tagged twice quite successfully last year is David Swallow, but there is one caveat there I have been, and I'm keen on your take. If Matt Rowe comes out of the gate anything like Sam Walsh, I think Rowe's already the best midfielder at Gold Coast. That's how good he is, not how bad the squad is. That's how good he is. There is a, a world I can see that round six, Rowe's got Matty DeBoer running after him. Can you imagine as well? He's, he might have uh, started the season in glistening form if he does anything like what Sam Walsh, and then we're going to be pulling our hair out because uh, he might be bottoming out or, or at least hurting our cash generation. But, yeah. uh, Honestly, it's it's distinctly possible. I, I think it says as much about Matt Rowell as anything, and he's obviously a, someone that's going to be a heavily focused on this, this year from a fantasy perspective. But uh, Matt DeBoer is going to do a hell of a job I, um, on all these players. I think one that um, worth sort of pointing out is Zach Merritt really, really struggles against the tag, and he's really struggled against Matt DeBoer. So the fact that they're playing twice is a, is a big concern to me. Yeah. Um, Someone like Marcus Bontempelli can obviously play forward, but yep. when he does play forward, he's he's scored less fantasy points, and yep. he, he's been quite productive as a footballer, but he, he's produced yeah. less. Dangerfield similar, um, yep. Yep, exactly. Dangerfield similar. So you you take the caveats there. Um, it possibly makes you think that, hey, if you're looking at a Western Bulldog, then someone like Jackson McRae in Dream Team might be a little bit more desirable because mm. history would suggest that uh, he's not going to receive the tag. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are these are all things that we're mindful of, and of course, this is an ever-expanding game. I mean, uh, there's there's certainly a case to be made that you know injuries occur all the time, Absolutely. form drops occur all the time. So we're we're trying to look at the crystal ball here, and it's it's particularly cloudy at the moment. We're still you know x number of days away from round one, so we're trying to predict as much as possible. But I think this is a this is something that's going to be changing on a weekly basis. And the players that are in form are always going to be at risk of uh, suffering from uh, De Boer's, you know, skilled, uh, skilled talents. Yeah, exactly. And we've seen him more than happy to be changed his target in-game. So, look, if you're looking at a vice-captaincy loophole option for Dream Team and Supercoach, um, you don't want to be putting that VC or the C on a GWS um, midfielder that's coming up against them. So in round one, you know, danger, probably not your VC loophole or Oliver or Bont or, or certainly a Zach Merritt through there because he's more than happy. Even if he starts elsewhere, 
to be moved over and negate that midfielder too. So that's certainly a factor you need to consider. But before we wrap up the episode, Ben, I, I, there's been plenty of talk in this preseason um, about the GWS midfield and how can they structure up with Ward, Kelly, Taranto, Cornelio, um, Whitfield, Green, Williams, Tom Green. You know, they're, try, they're trying to get all these big boys in. And, and some I've seen amongst the fantasy community you know, hypothesize around a world where Matt DeBoer isn't in the midfield. And I think you brought up a great point right at the start of this episode. With the offensively-minded midfielders GWS have, there is not a chance in the world I can see... And yes, the game evolves and changes constantly, absolutely. But I can't predict a world where their best defensively-minded midfielder, a player in their leadership group, who helped take them to a grand final, is not tagging if he's fit and firing yeah i i share those sentiments i think he's he's integral because he brings something to the team that they they severely lack elsewhere um i think callan ward was the guy that could kind of bring a a little bit of defensive structure to the giants uh but you're not expecting callan ward at now past the age of 30 coming back from the acl to be at his absolute best uh and of course the just had the best season of his career yeah. Um, he's a he's in form. He's uh, shown the football world what he's capable of. So, look, it's you know, we're, and we're going to have this information come round one whether they're whether De is not going to be playing. But I I would be absolutely shocked, like you would, if there's any uh, any question mark on in the coaching panel. And in fact, uh, I'd be pretty well certain that he's going to be lining up come round one on Patrick Dangerfield. Yeah, I think you can pretty much take that to the bank and Clayton Oliver the following week. And that's the thing. It could be the reason Clayton Oliver, who I love as a pick, we featured him earlier in the 50 most relevant. The reason you look at that fixture and potential targets is, again, they're going to be good, but maybe instead of a starter, maybe they're an early upgrade target because... We've no that minus thirty four differential in AFL fantasy, that minus thirty five differential in super coach of scoring impact he has, that's enough to bring a player's value price point down fifty to one hundred thousand and give you a bargain of the year. Not wrong, not wrong. This is the other component to it all is trying to time when we bring these players in. So uh, you know, referencing Patrick Cripps before, if he mm. if he has a seventy five, maybe the next the following week he has a he has a tough week as well. Suddenly you're getting this guy for fifty thousand, maybe even less. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you're you're saving a heap of money. So planning upgrades around potential Matt DeBoer tags is not the worst plan to have. It's uh, it would be something that's uh, fairly. Uh, I guess elite. It yeah. would it would be something that not necessarily most coaches would be looking at. But honestly, the best coaches obviously they spend the most time planning. So if you want to get ahead of the pack, I'd be I'd be looking at potential upgrade targets around the prediction that Matt DeBoer is going to severely uh, limit some of their scoring. Yeah, it's why for me Marcus Bontempelli is a phenomenal target after the multi buy round. Maybe you don't need a premium midfielder by then, but if you do. You'll have another Matty DeBoer tag just entering into the buy. Um, in terms of a draft relevance, uh, he has absolutely none as a midfielder. You're not going anywhere near him in terms of his ability to only average around that, you know, high 60s, low 70s. So, but again, he's relevant as you touched on, Ben, in the daily fantasy formats and the drafts because, again, you don't want to be putting your captaincy-enabled moves through 
a Matty DeBoer tag. Maybe you've got the opportunity to, to play some, you know, some loopholing of your emergency scores and your bench scores to, to minimize that impact. Who knows? It's a, it's a fascinating thing, the impact that Matt DeBoer is going to have. And Ben, I appreciate your thoughts today as we've talked about him. Thank you, MJ. I think this is one of the, the more exciting podcasts we've done. It's certainly a, a rabbit amongst uh, what has up until this point been a, a plethora of superstars. So I'm um, very happy to have me, uh, have you on, mate. And have you, have, you've done very, very well. So far. To stage in the uh, top 50. Um, you've done a tremendous job. So I'd like to thank you on behalf of the fantasy footy community, mate. Oh, look, an absolute pleasure. Look, there's still five to go, so I could still go full uh, GWS grand final on you here and absolutely not let it go to plan. But there are five players left to go in the 50 most relevant. Maybe you've figured out who the five are, but have you got the order right? Well, the good news is if you want to join our Patreon army and support the coaches panel, you can jump and find out who the number five player is right now. All the details to join our Patreon community, you can find that at coachespanel.tv. Five players left to go in the 50 most relevant, and tomorrow we hit the number five.